Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast with me, Harry Simiu. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all having a good Wednesday so far. I have to say, I found it quite difficult this morning to get up and get back into that normal routine of make getting ready, making my way to the station, coming into central London to work. Um, it was a bit of a slog this morning. I anticipate that it will, uh, of course, get easier. And I'm sure a lot of you are feeling the same uh, these first few days back at work, if you did um, have some time off. But yeah, um, it's taken me a little bit of a, a while to get myself in gear today. But here we are, uh, ready to record another episode of the podcast. Um, delighted to be doing it live alongside many of you in the live chat. And as it's January, um, I've been putting it off for a couple of days, but it's time that we started to talk about transfers and that we started to um, share with you guys some of the stories that are doing the rounds, but also um, provide a bit of context around them, talk through them, discuss them. Uh, so we're going to be doing that on this episode of the podcast. Uh, we're going to talk Curtis Jones. We're going to talk Amadou Onana. We're going to talk Kieran Tierney. We're going to talk Marquinhos, Mohamed Elneny. We've got lots and lots to get into on this episode. So don't go anywhere. If I could ask you uh, very kindly before we begin, if you haven't done so already, if you're someone who's here regularly, you'll know what you're going to get in terms of uh, of the content. So please do leave us a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if your brand's banking you as well. That really, really does help. Um, and uh, yeah, we continue to grow. We continue, of course, to push. Look, the Christmas and New Year period for Arsenal hasn't been great. You know, the the game uh, post-Christmas, in between Christmas and New Year's, the defeat at home to West Ham was bitterly, bitterly disappointing. We've been through that already. We've spoken through it. We've discussed it. Um, the game against Fulham, for me, on New Year's Eve was even more disappointing because not only was the result not there, but there was not even a semblance of a good performance from Arsenal. So I can understand why Arsenal fans are feeling down in the dumps at the moment. We talked about, on recent episodes, um, maybe the fact that the reaction was just a little bit over the top, given that, you know, it's a couple of games in which the alarm bells have really been ringing. Actually, for me, it's been one game in which the alarm bells have been ringing, and it was that game against Fulham. Um, we also talked on yesterday's episode, which I urge you to go and check out, um, about why our attack is misfiring. I talked a lot about the number six role, how that's played differently, whether it's Thomas Partey or Declan Rice, and how maybe that is having a bit of an impact on our build-up play. We talked about the wingers not being as efficient. We talked about the centre-forward position too. Uh, we got into all of it and um, I thought it was a really uh, in-depth episode in terms of the analysis that we provided. And um, we've had some really nice comments come uh, across over the last sort of 24 hours, people that have been tuning into that. Some agree, some of course disagree, and that's fine as well. Uh, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that episode if you haven't checked it out already. You can find that on the YouTube channel or you can find it, uh, of course, on uh, the podcast feed if you prefer to take in the show via the audio platforms. Right then, um, let's say a few hellos before we dive into uh, the content of this episode. Um, Mohammed says, hi, Harry. It's worrying that Ornstein says Arsenal cannot sign players in January unless they sell players. Only loan deals are possible, according to him. It's disappointing because we really want players in. Now, we don't know that Arsenal can only do loan deals. We know that Arsenal are sailing quite close to the win when it comes to the Premier League's um, profit and sustainability rules. And we know that we might have to get a little bit creative in terms of the way we do deals. 
or allow people to leave in order to uh, open the pathway for some to come in. Uh, Gunner Deja Vu says Arteta hasn't learned his lesson with the left eight. Keeps trying to sign uh, underwhelming central midfielders. Vieira, Havertz, now CJ, talking about Curtis Jones. We'll get on to Curtis Jones uh, in a minute because there's a couple of comments in here that I, I really, really do agree with. Um, uh, Joey La Odegaard says, cheers, Harry. Uh, glad to catch a live one again. Nobody's playing darts yet, I see. Do you know what? The dartboard has never been so busy. I think everybody's been inspired by uh, the 16-year-old Luke Littler, who's in the final tonight. Um, I've cancelled plans tonight to watch the final. Uh, that's how into it and invested I am in it. Uh, but you can see a couple of the, the lads behind me. I think they're getting ready to have a little bit of a game. Look at that. You can see uh, just over my uh, my right shoulder. Um what else have we got? Uh, AHWR says, whatever players we sign is irrelevant. The manager's decisions are the biggest problem right now. So a lot of negative feeling at this moment in time. Um, big hello to Sooty, who says, uh, Happy New Year, H. Happy New Year to you too, mate. And of course, to your wonderful family, he says, uh, not a very happy start to the year for the Gunners, but it's still all to play for. Exactly. It is still to play for. Um, right. OK, let's um, let's dive into some of these stories, some of these rumours that are doing the rounds. And I'll give you my take on them. Let's do that in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Right, right then. Let's kick off uh, with that story regarding Liverpool's Curtis Jones. Now, there was a rumour that started doing the rounds yesterday that I believe originated on X or Twitter, um, as most of us still know it. Um, look, the reality is that Arsenal aren't signing Curtis Jones from Liverpool. Um, you know, I think he's a player that has come on leaps and bounds in recent times. I think he's a player that is incredibly talented. He's had his problems with injuries, I would argue. Um, and that has um, maybe stunted his development at Liverpool Football Club. But I think it's very, very clear now that to Jurgen Klopp, he has an important role to play, that he's someone um, that has an incredible connection with that football club because it's his boyhood club, because he's a, a lad from that region, etc., etc. And then you factor in the fact that we are direct rivals with Liverpool and the chances of them selling him to us for a price that is even remotely fair are very, very minimal. So I wouldn't get too caught up in this conversation, in this discussion. It's not one that I believe is likely. It's not one that I believe Arsenal seriously consider um, as an option. It might be true that Mikel Arteta is an admirer of Curtis Jones. Why wouldn't he be? As I say, I think he's an incredibly talented individual. Not a player that I've always been totally convinced by, uh, by the way. But I think in recent times, um, he's starting to show what it is that um, Liverpool uh, see in him and why they were so keen, of course, uh, to keep him as part of the setup. And, and why it is that today in sort of Liverpool 2.0 under Jurgen Klopp, Curtis Jones has a really, really important role to play. So I want to rubbish this one nice and early because I don't think that there is any chance whatsoever that Arsenal land Curtis Jones now or in the summer that's to come. Maybe Curtis Jones, um, as people have put this out because, or, or have, you know, put something out into the ether that suggests that, you know, a, a move away might be on the cards. I've seen some suggesting that it's maybe because he wants an improved contract at Liverpool. His current deal doesn't expire until 2027. So there's still plenty of time. And the last one he signed was only uh, November of 2022. So, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but perhaps because his role in the side um, has increased, perhaps because of the fact that, you know, he's in a place now where he's he's more important to them. He's more 
um, you know, he's more available. He's he's more um, a central part of the plans. Maybe he and his people feel like there is a, a, a need now to renegotiate and perhaps get a better deal. He is someone that misses um, a fair few games through injuries. You know, you got to factor that in as well. He missed a couple at the start of the season, Bournemouth and Newcastle through an ankle problem. Of course, got sent off at Spurs after just 26 minutes, which saw him miss three games. And then he had a thigh problem for a couple of weeks as well. So he is someone that has only managed to uh, make 12 appearances for Liverpool. As much as I say that his role within the group has increased, he's only been in the starting 11 35% of the time in the Premier League this season, and he's only played a total of 32% of their minutes. So his role is growing all the time, and he's becoming more and more important for Liverpool. And, and so maybe the fact that he isn't one of these uh, constant fixtures in the side or a staple of Jurgen Klopp's first 11, if everyone's fit and available, has added to this talk and added to these rumours, but I don't believe for a second that Arsenal are in for Curtis Jones or that that is a deal that they would see as being even, um, you know, remotely uh, achievable. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to give that one too much attention unless there are any developments. And I don't think there will be um, over the course of this next window. Right. We're going to move into our next story. The next player I want to discuss is Everton's Amadou Onana. Now, according to Alex Crook of Talk Sport, this is one that Arsenal could look to do in the January window. So again, it depends on who you listen to, right? Because some say that Arsenal can't do anything unless they sell. Some say that Arsenal do have some funds available, but that those funds are limited. Um, you know, there are a number of players that have been talked about as potential departures, which could maybe ease that situation a little bit. Amadou Anana is one that you're not going to get on the cheap. But Alex Crook says that Arsenal are in, um, at least considering this, and that this is one to watch. And I think a lot of this stems from the fact that Everton financially are in a bit of a spot of bother. You know, it's not been great for them financially for a little while. We know that they've had that 10-point deduction as a result of their finances not being in order. We know that work is still ongoing at their new stadium, and that is a big resource drain on them. We know that new ownership um, are about to have their takeover ratified and all the rest of it. So perhaps that uncertainty at Everton could force them to consider the sale of Amadou Anana should a Premier League club, or any club for that matter, come in with an amount of money that they deem reasonable. What is a reasonable amount of money for Amadou Anana? I think he's a really, really physical player. I think he's got the... the um, you know, the legs to get up and down the pitch. I think he's got a real physical presence that can be a massive asset to you in midfield. But I've always said this about Amadou Onana, and I said it in the summer when we were lit with him. I feel like technically he lacks a little bit and that he's still missing something. And as a result of that, if you go back to the episode that we put out yesterday where we spoke at length about the fact that maybe one of our problems at the moment is that we're not progressing the ball from midfield into attack early enough, is Amadou Anana going to rectify that problem? I don't think he is. So if he's going to cost a significant amount of money, then I don't think necessarily that that's the midfield player that you should be prioritising. Now, if you come to the summer and you're going to bring in multiple midfield players and you're going to bring in someone that is that ball progressive, ball controller from a deep area, and you're bringing in Onana to play a different role to give you something different, then actually I'm okay with that. Um, I don't think he's the worst option in the world. But for what he would cost, which I'd imagine would be 
at the absolute minimum about 40 to 50 million pounds right now. I just don't think that this is something Arsenal should be prioritising. And whilst I respect Alex Crook and everybody else um, that puts, um, you know, a lot of effort into trying to, uh, you know, source these stories and, and then puts them out, I just don't see Amadou Anana as a viable option for Arsenal in January either. Mainly because when I look at what I think are the problems, and I'd imagine, I hope that the, the, those internally are looking at similar issues, I, I just don't think that Amadou Anana goes any way in terms of trying to rectify those issues. Um, 40, 50 million pound at a time where you've got a bit more disposable income in a summer maybe isn't such a big deal. But in this January window where we clearly have to be very careful about how we do business and, you know, there are players that we want to move on, that we need to move on. But the problem we've got at this moment in time is, are people going to cough up the money that we think they're worth in a January window? Or is it going to have to wait till the summer? And when I talk about that, I'm talking about your Ramsdales, who probably is going to leave come the summer. I'm talking about people like Reese Nelson. I'm talking about maybe even somebody like Eddie Nketiah, who we may seek to cash in on come the summer transfer window. But in January, it isn't always that clear and dry. It isn't always easy to achieve the amount of money that you feel a player is worth. And so do Arsenal cheap out um, in January in terms of what they sell these players for to try and hurry things along and get someone that maybe is a kind of fourth or fifth best option? Or do they hold fire? I honestly believe that Arsenal are going to hold fire before we see any significant business. I think they will feel that if they can focus on getting key players back, um, you know, that could go far enough in terms of bridging that gap between where we are today and where we need to be. Um, in particular, Thomas Partey, because I think when we talk about midfield problems, he has the skill set to fix a lot of the issues that we've been highlighting. Uh, so Amadou Anana to Arsenal in January, not impossible. Um, and, you know, I take Alex Crook's point on board or suggestion on board that maybe a big part of why this feels realistic is because of Everton's situation. But is he the one that Arsenal will go running to uh, should some funds become available as a result of maybe the books looking a little bit better than anticipated or the potential sale of players. That is what I'm not sure about. How far down the list would he be? I, I would argue that he's probably quite far down the list. Um, and if some money is available, he'd be, he, he wouldn't be at the front of the queue in terms of the players that Arsenal are, are sort of wanting to spend that on. Okay, another story being talked about is the potential recall of Kieran Tierney from his loan deal over at Real Sociedad. Um, obviously, Arsenal are lacking options at left-back at the moment. That is clear. Um, Zinchenko was out injured for the game against Fulham, and that meant that Mikel Arteta had to turn uh, to Jakub Kivio, partly because Takahiro Tomiyasu wasn't fit enough yet to return uh, to the starting eleven, but also because of that injury that Jurian Timber is still uh, recovering from. You can understand why left-back feels like a problem position for Arsenal, and you can understand why, you know, if they're in a position where they're a little bit cash-strapped as a result of uh, the rules in place and they need to be careful, you can understand why Kieran coming back is a story maybe that makes sense. But the thing I'll always say about Kieran is this. When we, when we adapted our system, when we tried to play in a different way, in a way that involved us having the inverted left back, it was very clear from the beginning that Kieran was going to struggle with that. So the only way bringing Kieran back makes any sense to me is if Mikel Arteta is going to 
compromise on his principles about what it is that he's asking the left back to do. If you want somebody to come in and play as a traditional left fullback, Kieran Tierney is your man. Um, and I don't think if Mikel Arteta was willing to compromise on that, he'd have been allowed to go out on loan in the first place. I think we've moved past Kieran Tierney tactically. And I know we're in a bit of a desperate situation at the moment because uh, Tommy Asu is away now for the Asian Cup. And even with him, you always know that there's a risk, there's a chance that he's going to pick up an injury. Jurian Timber um, isn't back yet. And when he does come back, is he going to need a bit of time to get up to speed? Of course he is after an injury of that nature. So I understand that we're in a bit of a desperate situation. But I just think that bringing Kieran Tierney back into a system that clearly doesn't suit him and into a setup that clearly doesn't suit him doesn't make an awful lot of sense in terms of a, for the player, and B, for the potential of selling him come the summer. You'd hope that if he has a good loan spell over at Real Sociedad, that puts him in the shop window. And all of a sudden, you can get a fee in for a player that was very much on the peripheries at your own club. And as a result of him playing over in Real Sociedad as part of a relatively successful team, you know he will have a price that, that makes a lot more sense and represents a lot more value. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, right. I'm going to move on uh, to a couple more stories, but before we do that, I'm going to dive into uh, the live chat. I'm still going to talk Mohamed on, then he's still going to talk Marquinhos as well. Uh, but if you've got any questions, any thoughts in the live chat, please do drop them in and I'll come to them in a minute. I can see the comments are popping off and I haven't looked properly for a little while. So let's uh, make a crossover into the chat box. <laughs> Okay, 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 okay. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, John Daly's. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Yes. Um, doesn't this scream that Partey is out for the whole season? Just going back to sort of the points that we were making about the midfield. I don't know. Um, is the honest truth. There's a there's a tiny part of me that hopes that Arsenal were just being overly cautious with him regarding the AFCON and that Chris Hewton's just looked at the timelines and thought, well, this doesn't really work for us, so I'm better off taking another player. The hope for me still is that at some point in February he will return, um, in which case we've only got to navigate through this month. And you know that we've got, of course, one week where we don't have a game because of that winter break. So that's the kind of hope on my side. But I don't have an update on him. I don't know what the update is. I don't know um, how close he is to returning. And I don't know um, if the club are looking at him and thinking, OK, he's not a million miles away. And therefore, let's be um, a little bit more pragmatic going into the window. Let's not make a knee jerk signing um, as a result of that. And, and let's, you know, not just go and spend a, a shit ton of money that maybe we don't have on a player that is only really going to be a better option than Thomas Partey for three or four weeks before he's back in the picture and working his way back towards fitness. Um, 
what else have we got in the chat? Uh, I'm just scrolling through. Lots of you arguing among yourselves. Come on, guys. There's no need for that. Um, there's uh, there's there's no need for that. Uh, what else have we got? Some of you calling Mikel Arteta a Muppet. Oh, great. Um, that, that'll go a long way. Um, what else have we got? Um, just scrolling through, just having a quick look. Chadwin Brown says, what are your thoughts on Dusan Vlavic? I like Dusan Vlavic. I liked him from the minute we were linked with him in the first place, but obviously that never, um, that never came to fruition. It never happened. Um, is there a possibility that we do that further down the line? I think, you know, we talked about Everton's financial issues. Juventus certainly fall into the category of a club that have financial issues and, and would probably be open to at least come into the negotiating table if you went in with an initial number um, that was was good enough, strong enough to turn the heads. I think at around about £50 million, you can bring Juventus to the table. And from then on, yeah, you might have to go that little bit further. But I don't think you'd do a deal at far more than that. And that's another part of the reason why I'm not big on Ivan Tony. You know, you're talking about Ivan Tony, 80 to £100 million. Not a chance. Dusan Vlavic is a better footballer than him and could be gotten at maybe half the price. If you could do a deal at 50 in comparison to the 100 that Brentford are asking for, then that would be a no-brainer. It really, really would. Um, you've got to then factor in age, ceiling, all the rest of that stuff. Um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it's um, it, it makes a lot of sense as to why people would... Um, prefer Dusan Vlavic as an option over um, either, uh, over Ivan Tony. Sorry, mixing up my words there. Uh, just going back to what we were saying about the left-back position, Rick James says inverted full-back dominance doesn't work anymore. It's as simple as people will just now sit 10 yards deeper, get the ball and bypass your overloaded midfield with the ball straight down whatever side has inverted. Yeah, um, that, that that's not a bad point. Like, I, I agree with a lot of that. And I talked about it after the Fulham game. I talked about how Fulham recognised the positioning and the starting positions of our fullbacks and what putting the ball into those channels would do in that it would lure William Saliba and Gabriel out to the wider areas, which would make us vulnerable in a central position. I think that teams have sussed that out. I think that teams have worked that out. And I've been saying a lot this season when people say, why are Arsenal not performing at the same level? I've been saying a lot of the time that We've been sussed out in a lot of ways. A lot of the things that we caught people off guard by doing last season, you know, they've been found out, they've been read into, and now we need a different approach. And again, if you go back, and I keep plugging yesterday's podcast, but I think it's really worth listening to if I do say so myself. Um, one of the things that I kept talking about was a lack of width. And the lack of width can give you a problem offensively, obviously, because it makes it harder to break down low blocks that are focused on dealing with centralised areas. But it can also cause you a problem defensively when you're having to drag players who naturally prefer to sit in central areas out into wide positions. And when you've got two centre-backs playing at full-back, that can, of course, be a problem um, for sure. Uh, John Daly says, why does it always feel that Arsenal have to overpay in January for players? Um Players like Ramsdale then should have doubled in price, in my opinion. Look, Arsenal are not the only ones that have to pay over the odds to get players in in January. I think it feels like that because we're Arsenal fans and we focus on the business that Arsenal look to do and the players that Arsenal are linked with, of course. But I really do think that the January window is just like that in its nature. It is a window 
that isn't really seen as as being ideal. A lot of managers want to have their squad, don't want any distractions throughout the campaign and, you know, prefer to just get their heads down and work with what they have. There are other managers that will use the January window maybe as a bit of a saving grace in the event that they lose a key player to injury, in the event that they have a crisis uh, that puts them in a really precarious situation. It gives you an opportunity to go out and fix things. But, but... If you're taking someone mid-season and there isn't an obvious replacement available to that club mid-season, then they are going to make sure that they are compensated for that fact. Therefore, you are going to pay more money. That's how it goes. I honestly don't believe any manager goes into a new season and says, I'm going to do this in the summer and I'm going to do this in January. I honestly believe that managers go into a summer thinking, I want to get all my business done. And January is a time that they can utilize to get done what they weren't able to get done in the summer or plug any holes and problems um, that they have identified over the first half of the season. But it isn't a window that I think you plan that much for. I think it is one for the opportunists more than one for uh, those that plan, you know, with the long term and are going to stick to those plans. Um, it's a supplement to the summer window rather than being um, a main window. Now, we've seen teams go out and do business in January. That has essentially helped them get over the line in the pursuit of their objectives. And that's great. But, you know, generally speaking, it very much is uh, a window in which you address problems, issues, and normally you spend a lot less money. Alina Khan says, how likely is it that we go for Zubimendi? Apparently, Arteta is a huge fan of him. Now, we've been hearing this for a while, um, that Zubimendi is a player that Arsenal um, really, really like, that he's a player that um, Arsenal would love to sign. He's very committed to Real Sociedad, understandably. It's his club. Um, they're in the Champions League knockout stages. I think it's going to be tough to prize Zubimendi out of Real Sociedad now. I think this is one for the summer. Um, you know, to be able to do this in January, you'd have to go big in terms of persuading Real Sociedad. I know he has a release clause from what we understand. So you'd have to meet that at the absolute minimum, you'd assume. But you'd also have to convince the player to make that move now, which means you're going to have to go big on what you're promising in terms of his role, but also financially. And, um, and that could make it uh, difficult to do as well. Okay. Uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? Um, looking through some of uh, of your points and, and of your questions so I can pick out a couple. Beg your pardon, I've got this horrible tingle in my throat when I talk for a little while, which makes me want to cough, um, which is why from time to time I hit that mute button because as I said yesterday, nobody wants that. Um, nobody wants that in their ears. Um, Mark Jerome says, the way Arteta's been talking in post-match interviews, it doesn't sound like he wants to add anyone in the January window. Um, no, I think he will want to add. I think he either recognises that it's going to be really difficult because of the situation that we find ourselves in, um, or he doesn't want to give anything away. Mikel Arteta is always very coy and tight-lipped um, around certain subjects, transfers being one of them. Um, he's not going to come out and say, yeah, we need to add X, Y, and Z publicly because that drives the price up, um, you know, that you know, will make people think, um, you know, that Arsenal are desperate and therefore, you know, as I say, they, they'll whack a bit more on top, which makes it even harder to do that deal. Uh, but I also think he won't want to damage the morale of his current players. You know, you, no manager 
wants to come out and say, do they, that actually, um, yeah, you know what? We're not good enough at centre forward, for example. So let's, we're going to bring one in. Um, but yeah. Uh, Errol Graham says, uh, Harry, would you go uh, full strength Sunday with Ramsdale in goal? Um, I would go full strength on Sunday. Um, but to Mikel Arteta, I'd imagine that means David Raya in goal. Um, and that'll be because I think we need a response. We need something to turn the mood around at the football club. And a, a victory over Liverpool, albeit in a cup competition, I think would go some way in improving the morale within the group and improving the mood among the supporters. OK, going to take a short pause. Then we're going to go back into a couple more stories, a couple more points that I want to make. And after that, uh, we'll take a few more of your questions before we sign out. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. According to reports, Mohamed Elneny is close to leaving the club uh, this month. He'll be going to Turkey, apparently. Where have we heard that one before? I feel like every transfer window we hear that Mohamed Elneny is going to Turkey. Never happens. So I might get him uh, too carried away uh, with this one. Well, it is Arsenal's last opportunity this window, really, to get anything in for Mohamed Elneny because, of course, his contract expires at the end of the season. Even a minimal amount like 2 million, 3 million, 4 million pounds could go a long way in supplementing, you know, maybe an agent's fee in another big deal that we want to do or in the wages of someone for a period of time. So, you know, there is some value to doing that. But unless we're going to bring players in, and I'm not saying Mohamed on any someone I want to see start every week or anything like that, but you are thinning the squad out even more if you don't replace him. So I don't know if that's the wisest thing. And you have to weigh up the risk versus the reward. The risk is that you leave yourself even shorter in midfield. The reward is that you get that minimal amount of money that I've mentioned there. Um, another player um, that I think things are a little bit uncertain about moving forward is, of course, Arsenal's Brazilian winger Marquinhos. Came into the club, looked quite lively at the beginning. I thought, oh, you know, he's further down the progression line than maybe I expected. I expected him to go out on line straight away. It didn't happen. Um, he's come... Uh, back to the club, done okay-ish in the limited opportunities that he got and then was sent out on loan at the start of this season to Nantes. However, they want to terminate the loan deal. Um, they want to send him back to Arsenal, which is never a good sign, is it? Um, he's made seven league earn appearances this season for Nantes. He's got one assist in that time, which isn't massively impressive. Um He's not been in the squad for six of their league games this season. Now, there's no reason on transfermark.com as to why that is. So I wonder if he was injured or anything. And I'm maybe giving him a bit of a rough ride here. But if he wasn't picked in the squad because they don't think he's good enough, and that wouldn't be wild given that they want to send him back. Um, and that's obviously really disappointing and really underwhelming. And maybe he's one that we need to kind of um, look at moving on. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, that's not great, is it? It's not a good look. Not a good look at all. Okay. Uh, um, let's go back into the live chat box to see what you guys are saying for the last few minutes. Savarine says, the last two performances broke my heart. I like Arteta, but for me, he has to deliver this season. What are your minimum expectations? I think semis, league challenge and FA Cup. Um, so... My expectation at the start of the season was to go again in terms of a title challenge. I can't sit here and say that if Arsenal don't win the league, I want Mikel Arteta sacked. I can't say that. And the reason I can't say that is because I think we've moved a long way in a short period of time. You know, over the last two years, 
the progress that we've seen. Go back to when we were missing out on the Champions League with that horrible defeat at Spurs and then the defeat we suffered at Newcastle. Go back to that point and look at where we are today. I said it on the show the other day, the fact that we have this expectation of challenging for the league again is a testament to the progress that we've made. But I also recognise that we're up against very, very good sides in terms of the title race. Manchester City are going to come good. I've been saying this all season, and I'm certain that you're going to see it now over the coming months. Liverpool look a very good side as well. Now, I'd be really disappointed if Liverpool won the league and we didn't, because last year we were so far ahead of them, and it would be kind of damning if Liverpool, having made three or four good signings in the summer, were able to go from like a team that missed out on the Champions League to winning the league the following season. So Liverpool are a side that I want us to be above, and I think we probably should be above, although it doesn't look like it's going to go that way at this moment in time. Manchester City, though, they're a different animal altogether. They're the best side in world football. Um, they've got the deepest squad. They've got the best manager. And I keep talking about it, and people don't like it when I bring this up, but they do have those charges outstanding as well, which brings into question all of their success, really, over the last few years, if, of course, they are found guilty. So that is something that does play a part in my thinking, whether it does in yours or not. I don't know. So I want Arsenal to challenge for the title. When I say challenge for the title, I want us to be in it going into the last few weeks of the season, mathematically, like we were last season. I want there to be um, some jeopardy at that point in the campaign. And if we do that, it would mean that Arsenal have at the very least sustained the progress that they made last season. I expect us to go far in the Champions League. I really, really do. Anything less than a quarterfinal, semi-final for me would be bitterly disappointing because we are good enough to compete in that competition. I'm only really massively scared of a handful of clubs in that competition. And so if we don't get to the latter stages, I'll be bitterly disappointed. As for the FA Cup, I'm not that fussed in terms of, um, you know, where we end up there. I don't think that will bear too big a part in my assessment of the season come the end of it um, either way. But obviously, it's a cup that is very close to our hearts as Arsenal supporters, and I'd rather we perform in it than we don't. I think the Liverpool game has big significance for us now at the weekend because of the moment that we find ourselves in and the situation that we find ourselves in. But a title challenge and maintaining our status as a Champions League club has got to be the number one. The sustaining of the level that we showed last season has always got to be your number one priority. If you can push on and kick on, great. Um, but progress isn't always so linear like that, right? It, it doesn't always go like that. Um, you know, sometimes it goes like that, then it flatlines a bit, then it goes like that. And, and that's the bit that people maybe don't understand and the bit that I think frustrates me when I hear people analysing and laying down their expectations. But yeah, I want us to go far in the Champions League for sure and think we should. Um, I think we should. Uh, Steve Stone says, it's all Harry's fault. You're absolutely right, mate. You're absolutely right. Someone else said, uh, why haven't we signed six players already uh, with three days into the window? <laughs> You're right. You're right. Um, Jid makes a good point. And, and whenever I say this kind of stuff, people go, oh, you've got to lose the mentality and all the rest of it. But it's so true. We won the title three times in 30 years. Yes, as fans, we'd love to win the league. But to act like we have some divine right to win it, um, or there's a manager who would guarantee that we win it, is silly. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. Um, okay, I think I'm going to leave it there. Lots more brilliant comments. Um, apologies that I haven't got to all of them. Uh, but thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Chronicles of Aguna live on this Wednesday afternoon. 
We will be back tomorrow with another episode. Um, if I could just ask you to leave a like on the video, to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already, that really, really does help. Um, share the episodes on socials, get it out there, leave your comments in the comments section because that really helps with the interaction. Like, subscribe, you know the drill by now, and I will see you all next time. Until then, uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining me on today's ride, and I will see you soon. Goodbye. Cheers. Mm -hmm.